After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi and the East came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the new one who was being born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard, this was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, from them, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent him to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard that the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, franchise, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So today uh, winds up being, we, we inherited this tradition of gift giving. And I, I'll have, I just have to say, for this kind of time of the year, one of the favorite roles that I've stepped into, that I've learned and inherited, it's, a, it's like a supreme dad role, is the Christmas present manager. Do you know this role? Like, it's generally a dad role, but I think there are probably honorary dads, those with and without kids, those men, women, children who can, who can fill this job, right? But, y like, you know what I'm talking about. The one with the garbage bag <laughs> that makes sure all of the crumbled paper makes its way in. Like, I was asleep mere minutes ago, and then I turn into Wilt Chamberlain and grab every rebound and put it in this bag. And then that goes to the recycling bin. And in our house, this is also this is a very complicated job because this is also the person who folds and sets aside gift bags because we're very eco-conscious and cheap and want to reuse the gift bags. Um, but also make sure the gift cards get set aside and not trashed. It's, it's fine work. Um, to do this job well, you always have to have the right tool at the right moment. You have to have scissors for snipping clothing tags because we have to put that sweater on right now. Uh, you, you have to have like a Swiss Army knife to get the transformer off of the cardboard because it has to go ASAP. And of course you have to have a whole battery of batteries, the right battery for everything. The right denomination, the right number, A, AA, AAA, 9 volt, C, D, you name it, right? You need needle nose pliers, Phillips head screwdrivers, flathead screwdrivers, whatever it requires, let's go now. And this is like my favorite dad role. So today marks 
a supreme gift-giving moment. And so maybe as we, as w there are some gifts that are being given, maybe we can have like all the dads or the dad roles come forward to help with opening the gifts, right? Maybe not, I don't think that's required. But we celebrate this small G gift-giving moment because we are, we are bearing witness and, and embodying and reenacting and, and remembering and living into the supreme gift-giving moment in God's story of the Magi. The, the three kings come to gift Jesus with their treasures. I love that, the version that Ricardo read that says, they opened up their treasures to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I just want us to notice a few things about this beautiful and dramatic scene that gives birth to much of our imagination around gift giving and gift receiving during this season. First, notice how dense this story is just by virtue of where it takes place. It happens, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It is an occupied territory in Judea. It's not insignificant that God arrives in the messianic birth of Jesus in a place where God doesn't really have jurisdiction. There already is another king in Bethlehem. This house of bread where Jacob buried Rachel, where Ruth lived after she married Boaz, and most famously it is the city of David, God's anointed one, the king. Bethlehem wasn't necessarily the biggest place or even the most well-known, but it was a really dense place of God's happenings, the deep history of God's action and God's people's life. I kind of, not a perfect analogy, but I kind of think about, about it like a place like Boston or something for us, like this like smaller, big city, but smaller big city where if you walk down the streets of Boston, it's like everything is a monument. I grew up in Florida, hurricanes and mildew knock everything down in like every 25 years. So it is wild to walk around Boston and it feels like every cobblestone has some history and some purpose. And maybe Bethlehem is a little something like that. It's a place of great promise and pride to be born in Bethlehem is to be located in an epicenter of a Jewish story. We can't ever forget that Jesus was born in a particular place to a particular people at a particular time. One's called and blessed by God to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. To, to be born in this place and to these people also means that you're born into a long line of kings, but it also means that you're born amongst kings. If we remember well, having kings wasn't actually God's like plan A for things. God's people begged God for a human king, and God kind of went with it, I guess, is, is how, how that worked. God granted his people their wish to have a personal king because apparently having God as their king wasn't enough. It, it feels like that would really hurt my feelings if I was God, right? But they, the, God's people over the years and over the generations, they saw good kings and they saw bad kings. There, there are these chronicles in our Bibles of the acts of what makes a king good and what makes a king bad. And spoiler alert, it's mostly the good kings recognize that they're not the king, that God is the king, and they're just kind of trying to slipstream into what God's doing. 
There's also these bad kings, and mostly what characterizes a bad king is injustice or violence or trying to mimic the power dynamics of the nations around them. To be Israel's king, to, to be a good Israel, uh, Israelite king, is to realize that you are in too big shoes to fill. That's how you do your job well, is knowing that you can't do your job ultimately. Even the best kings, David and Solomon, they had something about them. They committed deep sins that prevented them from experiencing the fullness of God's blessing in their work. To be God's king is always kind of a penultimate task. To be born in this place and time and to be anticipated as the king, like Jesus was, also meant that you butted up against current and presumptive kings, like Herod. It says, upon hearing about this newborn king of the Jews, we're told that Herod was, quote, troubled. And it says, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. You see, when an occupying king is troubled, you are either troubled with him or you are troubled by him, right? Herod immediately launched into some kind of cunning plan to eradicate this threat. The, the next part of this chapter in Matthew tells the story of the holy innocents, all of these roundabout two-year-old boys who, who, were, who were, we'll call it a genocide, because that's what it was, um, in searching for Jesus. Anyone that came close to being like the one was to be eliminated by Herod. For his Quote, carefully as he asked the Magi to search for Jesus, Herod's own searching was not very gentle or careful or full of finesse. Should we be surprised that a king might act this way to keep power? Maybe, probably not. <laughs> Jesus' life is then, so it starts with this King Herod and then it's bracketed by this other king, so to speak, Pilate, by Pilate's power and occupation and rule. It's Pilate is also visited in a dream. Uh, I think that's a great uh, parallel that, that Herod uh, is visited in a, a dream and so is Pilate. And this dream is about the Jesus who Pilate would encounter. It's Pilate who washes his hands so that his blame for what would happen to Jesus is less direct, but his motives and his movements are still pretty familiar. Power, scarcity violence, manipulation, keeping things status quo. Uh, a Pax Romana, uh, a, a peace that is no peace. But Jesus' arrival is signaled by the Magi's visit, these other kinds of kings from this other place outside of God's people. And they're arrival interrupts the stuff of earthly kings. Jesus' arrival is the arrival of the God of gifts. That's, that's what the Magi come to offer, their gifts. Sure, kings get stuff, and they give stuff all the time, mostly to show how good of guys they are, right? But when Jesus comes out and comes into the story, these kings from the east who are not from the center but from the margins of Israel's story burst onto the scene with curiosity and insight 
they find Jesus with exactly the tools that they know how to use best and that God gives them the gift of the star to add on to what they already know and orients them when everyone else is confused. God gives the gift of joy to them in this journey, in this searching. And then they return the favor and they give this baby Jewish refugee king honor and gifts. There's a cycle of gift giving and gift receiving that they launch that bears witness to this God of grace in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. A God who, when, when he is born, is not born of scarcity or violence or threat or power plays, but of blessing and of enoughness. That's why we call him the Prince of Peace, of, of wholeness. These kings, the Magi, they, they bore the mantle of the kings of Isaiah 60. That's a little bit of what's happening. All, all these echoes and recapitulations. And Isaiah 60 says that all these, all these rulers will be streaming from near and far, bringing their particular gifts. The, the people from the coast bring their ships and their stuff. The people from the forest bring their like expensive cypress trees and all this stuff that you couldn't get inland. And everyone is bringing their stuff to build and to, to pay tribute. These are the things they're most proud of. These are, these are the things that they're, the place they're from is most known for. And they bring all of these things in Isaiah 60 to honor the true king. Uh, imagine that, like all of the egos that had to like be downgraded to offer tribute to the one true king. These are the ones used to having all the power, and they sink up their power for the sake of peace and mutual flourishing. Isaiah 60, uh, 18 says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. That is what's being built here. And the Magi are embodying this, are, are calling it into being. Jesus is... Also, the king that is sung about in Psalm 68, who receives gifts from people, even the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. And this king from Psalm 68, Paul remixes it in Ephesians 4 and says, once ascended to be with the Father, this king gives gifts. Doesn't just receive gifts, but gives gifts to his people, the church. And these gifts are gifts to people and of people, like the gifts that we have just in this room right now, and gifts of personalities and gifts of, of uh, skills. Um, Paul starts to name them apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. These are all the things that uh, a, a small C church, um, Christ's body, need for health and safety and growth and thriving together. All of these gifts of God that the king gives so that we can experience God's presence. So this good news of epiphany is that we meet the king of kings who also happens to be the God of gifts. I think of, I think of the book of James that says, every good and perfect gift is given from above, from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift is given from God. Do we think about God as the God of gifts? 
the, the, the good news of Epiphany in this God of gifts is that this starts in this one isolated particular place, but it also bleeds out and, and spreads and explodes in eruptive joy to all of the nations everywhere. It, it works from, from this place to all places. The good news of epiphany of this God of gifts is that we are freed now in this place from having to participate in and perpetuate the ways the other kings work. Cycles of violence and scarcity and coercion. Because when you do that, you have, to, you have to hold your hand closed. You have to often make a fist. But God in, the God of gifts invites us to open our hands so that we can receive so that we can receive the gifts of God, that we can receive the presence of God, that we can receive the goodness of creation, that we can receive each other and the stranger, that we can receive the movements and the renewal of the spirit. The God of gifts that is shown to us in Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve. <laughs> Thank God. This is... This is a grace economy. This means that precisely what we don't deserve, we get. Unearned grace. Gifts and gifts and gifts. And we receive and we pass on and we receive and we pass on and we receive and we pass on. So in this new year, uh, we, may we live into this reality, into this good news of this God of gifts. Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Ricardo to share a little bit about this God of gifts in this, this feast day that we're celebrating. This is really cool. So kids, uh, get ready. I think there's an invitation coming. So I'm, I'm really glad to be here. This is one of the highlights of pastoring in this location that we get to share with you guys and we get to share this tradition. I, I really love it. Um, Wise Man Day was this past Friday. And uh, recently my, my TV broke. Man, that was sad, man. So I had to buy a new TV. And I'm like, all right, we got this huge new TV and uh, I want to watch a movie on Friday night. Right? Because I just got it recently. And I was... Looking around, and I found the three wise men against Santa Claus. <laughs> Holy cow. What an awesome movie. Uh, now, the movie is actually from uh, Spain, right? Spaniards are really the ones that gave us the tradition about the three wise men. Uh, and, of course, because they went to um, the new colonies and everything, that's how we got the tradition, right? It comes originally from Spain. But the movie was so much fun. Because the fact is that even if we in Puerto Rico have a way, a tradition on how the three wise men is, in other parts of the world, there are more things that add to that tradition. So in that movie, it was just highlighted things like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that they had all these small details that I didn't know. So even the three wise men, they, for me, something that I was brought up with and, um, in other parts of the world, there are other bells and whistles that go with it that enhance the whole experience of it. And one of the things that it really brings me joy is the fact that we get to do something that it, it, is, it is 
unheard of in other cultures because let's 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 be real right um christmas day is so quiet silent night you turn on the candle you know you're just so quiet snowy night you're looking outside i want it to snow we don't we want to be loud we want the speaker, the neighbor to hear us. We want a festivity because it's our first worship of the king. We look at it as the other way around. Instead of being a silent night, we're looking at it's the first time that we get to truly worship our Lord and Savior, the king of kings. So, I'm going to call all the kids. Come on over down, kids. Sit over here. Pastor Ricardo has a story to tell you. Now, sit all down there, down there, down there. Come on, kids. Come on down with your face mask or not. Just come on down. Here's the cool thing, right? For Christmas, what do we do for Santa Claus on Christmas? Man, you're right on point. What's your name? Mara. All right. So we get out milk and cookies, right? And we put it by the chimney, and we're just like, it's, it's like, it's like a thank you for stopping by, right? Hopefully those cookies are eaten, right? Because if they're not, sackle. Well, regardless of that, that's a tradition, right? For three wise men, then, it's completely different. We actually get to partake on something a little bit more outdoors. So three wise men, then, which was this past Friday, the day before, we get to grab a shoebox, right? And we're supposed to go to the yard, adults, but those times my parents did not mow the lawn, okay? Because they wanted the lawn to be tall. Because we would go to our patio, and with our bare hands, we would grab grass, and we put it in this box. Now, why would we do that? We would do that because in the tradition of the wise men, they didn't come on a sled. They didn't come with reindeers. They came on camels. So we wanted to feed the camels. So if we wanted to really have something great and show those three wise men then that we really appreciate them, we want to make sure that box was what? Full of grass. That it was overflowing, right? It's like, this is how much I want you here. So we would grab the uh, shoebox, fill it with grass. And what we would do is actually, is, although we had the Christmas tree, we were a little bit more different. We would not put the shoebox full of grass underneath the Christmas tree, we would put it underneath our bed. And you'd be like, why would you do that? Let me tell you something. Comparing, I'm not knocking off Christmas, but these are my two cents, okay? Listen, listen to these kids. What is more fun? Waking up and running one step, two steps, five, seven steps to your Christmas tree to see your presence or open up your eyes, looking underneath your bed, and guess what? Your presents are there. 
Because the wise men will actually grab the shoebox full of grass. They will take it home and in place, they will put the presents. So for Christmas Day, we didn't have to run. All we had to do was open our eyes, look underneath the bed, and shout hallelujah. Because our toy was right there. Well, dad did have to worry to actually pick up our mess. And he had to be fast running to each room to clipping those things. Because who wants to leave the bed when your toy is right there? Here's the thing. The thing about the wise men is that we are giving something in return. You see, God, the word says that God came to this earth to give us his only begotten son. So we will have everlasting life, right? Like Pastor Chris says, God is a God that gives. So if he gives and we are his children and we learn from our parents, then we learn that giving is what? It's good. Just like the wise men gave their first worship to baby Jesus, the intention of the three wise men day is for you to learn the joy of giving because you already have learned the joy of receiving. So in this day, believe it or not, I was able to pull some strings. And trust me, there were actually some hard ones. But I was able to make a special stop of the wise men. Would you like to see them? Come on now, would you like to see them? Would you like to see them? Alrighty then. Come on, you got to be excited for this. Like, what pastor? I don't understand. Well, listen, I send them a tweet. Through a Facebook post, through a Snapchat, and give them the address, the location of right here. So I want, where are the wise men? I want to come and down, the three wise men, vengan bajando muchachos, come on down. And here they come on down and say hello to them. Here are the wise men coming down. Hey!